Well, good evening. We're thankful that you're here this evening. If you've got your Bible with you, you may want to be opening it up. I don't have a passage for you to turn to right away, but we're going to be looking at several passages tonight. We hope that you'll be willing to follow along as we consider a good lesson tonight. Again, we're thankful that you're here. We knew that our numbers would take a, a bit of a dip uh, due to those who are traveling, and we want to pray for their uh, safe travel and hope that if you have any more traveling to do here towards the end of the year and the new year that you'll be safe as well. And uh, someone reminded me that it's supposed to get a little windy out there, so we'll get, keep it as short as we can here tonight. I'd like to share with you a lesson. It's kind of an interesting story. I have a book here uh, that was given to me recently. Um, it got it through Hannah's grandfather who passed away, Freddie's dad, uh, that passed away this year. They were giving away and, of course, using some of his books. It's a book of sermon outlines from Brother Gus Nichols. Some of you may know the Nichols family and the Nichols name. I thought, well, that sounds like something. I might be able to find something from every once in a while. Well, when I opened it up, apparently... Through Freddie, I learned that at one point while his dad was in preaching school or training to be a preacher, they taught him if they had a book like this, when they were going to use it, to cut it all out of the book. So I have a book here that if I drop it, I'm going to be in big trouble and it's going to take me a lot of time to put back in order. Uh, but at the same time, as I thought about it tonight and put my lesson together, I can pull out the two pages I need and that'd be simply it. So, uh, And this sermon as well, not to scare you too much, but has 29 points total, but we're not going to touch on all of those. If you've got your outline with you tonight, you see the title, and maybe you're familiar with this kind of face here uh, that you've seen, or maybe you've even given it to someone before. I don't think it's only uh, for children, although certainly this is the kind of age that we think about it. But if you have your outline and you've, uh, or your bulletin and you've looked at the outline, you understand the question that we're going to ask that goes along with this. The title of this lesson, as I was kind of looking through here and looking for one more lesson for 2019, the title of the lesson is, Do I Have to Do It? So a lot of times when we ask that question, the lip comes out on the bottom lip and the tears start flowing and we ask, do I really have to do that? It's usually with maybe a little bit of a whine even, you know, asking if that's really something that's necessary. And of course, what's interesting is, again, that was a picture I found just on the internet to kind of allow us to think about this kind of concept as the children do it. But in reality, if we're being very honest, Oftentimes the preacher hears the same question, and maybe, of course, as we try to say around here, it's not me, you know, it's God's word, it's God that's asking you to do something just as he's asking me to do it. So it's not the, the you know, a question of the preacher only because it's the preacher's call, but when we think about the word of God, the preacher oftentimes hears the question that's directed towards God, do I have to do it? Is that really something that matters? Is that really something that I should give my focus and attention to? Do I have to do this? And so we have to study sometimes to understand if we're justified in something and if it's something proper that we should be doing and what God has told us to do. So I think it will be a good study tonight. Uh, I mentioned how many points there were. Uh, there are only five things that we have to do. I didn't uh, share all of them there with you in your outline, but there were 22 um, that we do not have to do. So we'll pick and choose a few of those tonight, but let's get right into it. You do have to die. There are some things that you will have to do. And again, as we think about it tonight, you do have to die. We know Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 27 that talks about the fact that it is appointed for men once to die or to die once, but after this, the judgment. We all have to die. It's very sad to think about 
Even as we prepared our lesson last Sunday evening with the year in review, we listed the folks that we've lost from this congregation, and I think I mentioned then. But for many of us, that's just touching the hem of the garment of folks that we know of who we have lost. As I was going back through the bulletins, it was very sad to think about. We had about five of our own members here who passed away, but there was someone's sister or someone's aunt or someone's grandparent or, or something along those lines. And so we have probably all been touched by death at some point, maybe even this year. And we all certainly have in our lifetime. But one thing that we notice, the Bible says that we have to do is we will have to die. And while that's not exact, exactly exciting to think about, it is still something that we would find to be true and something that we have to do. Another thing, though, in regards to that, number two, is we have to be raised. John chapter 5, verses 28 through 29, we see that we have to be raised. Jesus says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Verse 29, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. We have to be raised. Now, that's an interesting point for those of us who claim to be Christians, followers of Christ. We kind of like this point because one thing that we oftentimes point out to others is everybody's going to be a believer one day, right? It may be too late for some folks because the judgment day may be there and they will have to be punished for the deeds that they have done. But we will all be raised and in that sense, we, we, everyone will become a believer, if you will. And so, again, maybe that's not exactly a have to like you would think the Bible says, but we do have to be raised. Number three, we have to be judged. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10 points out this fact for us that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We see the connection here between all of these different things, but we understand from the reading of God's word that it is a fact. It is true. We will have to be judged. We point out oftentimes that this is an interesting concept, especially in our world today, because we live in a society where everyone says the exact opposite. They will say, you can't judge me. You can't judge something as right or wrong. We talked for a few moments in our class, in adult classroom number one this morning, about the fact that our country, and really the world in general, we don't just want to, to mention our country only, but the world in general began to take God out of things like school and the home and other things, take God out, and now we found ourselves in this type of situation, this type of world where people would say, you can't judge me. And so we're very careful to point out that yes, we all have to be judged. We do not get a choice in that. And sadly, we won't get a second chance when that time comes. We know that many people who have been unbelievers, many people who have lived sinful lives will want to do all they can to beg all that they can. Even as we talked this morning about our possessions, people who have lots of money would offer up the God of heaven anything they could offer, which of course he doesn't need. But in order to have a second chance, because they've lived their life not in fear of God, not in a faithful life following after him. But yes, we will all realize one day that we have to be judged. There are some things that we will have to do. We can't avoid them. And then fourth this evening, we will have to go to heaven or hell. If you've got your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 25 there. 
We're certainly not going to look at this entire passage, verses 31 uh, through 46, but verse 31 begins, when the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And so we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 25, and we look to it as those who would strive to be faithful as an encouraging passage to think about the reward that will be waiting, the idea that we have to go to heaven. Maybe that's not the right way to say it, but we would get to, if we are found faithful in a sense, go to heaven. But all people will learn this fact and this uh, division, if you will, dividing of the people here that takes place. The description in Matthew chapter 25 is something that we can take encouragement. It doesn't have to be a fearful passage. Sometimes we find passages that encourage us. Sometimes we find passages that sort of strike a little fear in us. Well, this can be encouraging because when we think about have to, we will have to go to heaven or hell. As we said this morning, can't be both, can't be neither, has to be one or the other. That doesn't have to be a fearful thing, but it certainly is a have to. While you're there, the other, the fifth point that Brother Nichols mentioned in this outline here, I didn't have it in your outline or on the screen, but it's from this same passage in verse number 46. The fifth have to that he listed here in his sermon outline was that you will have to stay forever in your chosen destiny. Matthew 25 and verse number 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, if you were with us a few months ago, we had a lesson on why we believe that hell is real and eternal. We consider this passage, among others, remembering or reminding us of the fact that the Bible teaches that hell is a real place and that it will be eternal. It's interesting when you consider that kind of concept, because for most of us here, most of you that I've come to know, that's never been a question maybe in your mind. I was planning in the next year to preach a lesson on the creation, uh, kind of a scientific lesson a little bit, if you will. And of course, one of those things that people do with creation is they take it and they say, well, they, they try to plug in the millions of years somewhere among the days. And so I'd like for us maybe to consider that together in the new year in a, ser- in a lesson. Uh, but some people will do that with hell as well. Well, it's just a short term thing. Or it's just a very small thing. It's not eternal. And of course, some people don't want to believe it is real. But a fifth thing that we might add into the have-tos here is that you do have to stay forever in your chosen destiny. There's no going back and forth. As we think about Luke and the gulf, the great gulf between the rich man and Lazarus and the idea that, that one might want to try to go back and forth, that we might try to hope that we could do something good enough to get moved out of eternal punishment, Well, no, we have to go to heaven or hell, as well as the fact that we have to stay in our chosen destiny or the place that we have been deemed to go to by the judgment of Christ, by the words that he has given, that will be something that we will have to do as well. We can't avoid them. Now, on the other hand, there are some things that the Bible says that we don't have to do. Now, as I sort of previewed the lesson for just a moment for you this morning, I mentioned and used the word should. Many of the things we're going to talk about here in the next few moments are things that we should do, but we don't have to do. And of course, that sense is the idea that God is not going to force us to do something. He gives us free will. And boy, we're thankful for that. We're thankful to be able to choose our home, a congregation, our country, our job, any other things. We're thankful to be able to choose. 
And we're thankful as well that God has given us a choice in some things. So there are some things that we do not have to do. Number one, you don't have to hear Christ. We think about Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 15 in particular, where Jesus says here, For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. If you turn to that passage there, you'll notice beginning in verse 14 that that is a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. But, but Jesus is, po- or is, is telling us here, he's talking about this idea that for all of time, as we know it, for as long as mankind has been here upon this earth, there's a choice. Again, we touched on that here in our, in our class, in the adult class, uh, here in adult classroom one this morning. But the idea that we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We come forward to the days of Noah and the ark and the evil that continued there upon the earth. We come forward to the the kingdom, the united kingdom that we've studied on our Sunday night lessons, the divided kingdom. We come forward to the New Testament. We come forward to 2019 and God be willing, 2020. And there has always been a group of people who do not want to hear. A group of people whose hearts have grown dull. Isaiah said it. Jesus quoted him, and here we are today doing the same thing, quoting down that line, describing a group of people who have chosen not to hear Christ. Now, for the sake of time tonight, through this lesson uh, and looking at Brother Nichols' outline, the first uh, five points here, or six points that he mentions, are all basically the plan of salvation. You don't have to hear Christ, you don't have to believe, you don't have to repent. You don't have to confess. You don't have to be baptized. And then six, you don't have to be a member of the church. That's true, isn't it? As you think about your life, maybe you fell somewhere along that timeline at different parts of your life. Maybe you were raised attending church services somewhere. You went to Bible class as a kid. Your mom or your dad or or your grandparents took you and, and you knew something about the Bible. Maybe you said you believed, but you weren't willing to go any further. Think about someone else that maybe you know. Maybe you've got a friend, a coworker, someone that you've tried to talk to and study with. They fall into different parts of this timeline, uh, the plan of salvation, if you will. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross, but I'm not willing to repent of my sin. I don't understand what the big deal about the water is. Why do I have to be baptized? What does that have to do with anything? And so people choose and really, the, the idea, of course, especially with the plan of salvation with some people is they pick and choose. Well, I'll believe, but I don't want to be baptized. And I'll even confess, but you know, I don't want, think I have to repent. And so when we consider all these together, it's interesting to consider the fact that, yes, we don't have to do any of those things. We get to, of course. God has blessed us with a simple plan that we can obey. But no, you don't have to. You don't have to hear Christ. Number two, this evening in our things that we don't have to do, you don't have to keep unspotted. If you've got your Bibles there, James chapter 1 and verse number 27. James is encouraging those who would hear his uh, words to consider their lives, and especially their lives in light of those around them. This is the biggest struggle, I think, for us as Christians in a lot of ways today. And that is, we oftentimes coin or use the phrase, in the world, 
but not of the world. And what does that mean? Well, it means I got to go to work. It means I got to go to the grocery store. My kids might play baseball or basketball. It means that I'm a part of a club, a social club, maybe of some type in the community or something like that. I'm in the world, but then yet I have to be different. He says there in verse number 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. How hard is that? It's very hard. We mention a lot of times in various lessons some, some very direct ways, our language, uh, our dress, modesty, things like that. And we could go on the things that we view, the things that we talk about with others. And a lot of times people don't like to have those conversations. It makes us a little uneasy. You know, when we think about uh, the ads that we're bombarded with, whether it's television or the internet or the newspaper or anything, we're, we're bombarded with ways that we should be. You should drink this. You should go here. You should wear that. You should do these things. You should see this movie. All of these things. It's very hard. And like we said this morning, I don't think there's anything wrong uh, with going maybe to see a movie or, or going to a certain place or, or within the realm of what God has given us, the guidelines he has given us to do certain things. But we have to remember that we have to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. That's hard sometimes. Notice again there in verse number 26, he talks about the tongue and religion, but imagine being described as useless. I mean, there's not much of a, a more of a way to attack someone, right? If a father looks at a son or a parent looks at a child and says, you know, you're just useless. You're just worthless. It's a terrible thought. Nobody wants to be called useless. I mean, I may not be the best at everything I do, but I can do something. I, I can be good at something. Our religion is useless when we can't bridle our tongue and when we cannot keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We talked about this recently in lessons as well. But the biggest, one of the biggest problems, I think it was, I guess it was last Sunday morning with our compartment, our compartmentalization sermon. One of the biggest problems is the hypocrisy that people see. When you have spots like the rest of the world and try to just blend in with everyone and be like everyone else, then you're not going to be unspotted. You're not going to be different. And they're going to say, well, I don't see anything special about that Jesus or that God. I don't think, see anything special about trying to be that kind of person. Yes, we have to sort of do our best to be among the world. We have to reach people. We have to talk to folks. I'm not saying that we shun everyone who never enters the door here. But we have to find that balance of, yes, talking to the world and sharing with them, but keep ourselves unspotted. We don't have to do it. It's really easy to blend in. And it's really easy to be like everybody else. But then we're not doing our job of setting the standard and of doing what God would have us to do. If you've got your Bible, look over in James chapter 4 for just a moment. James chapter 4 and verse number 4. When we consider this idea of keeping ourselves unspotted from the world, James says as well, he continues on, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, James goes further. He takes it one step farther so that we understand what he means. Because we all understand the idea of adultery. I mean, even if you've not been married and maybe you are a young person you've just dated before, even in that realm, we understand the idea of cheating, if you will, what we call it. Turning your back on someone as a significant other. We get that. You're together, but yet you've turned your back. 
And of course, in the context of marriage and marriage as God would define it, James goes further to call it adultery. You cannot be friend, have friendship with God and friendship with the world. You can't serve two masters. Jesus says there in the Sermon on the Mount, you will hate the one and love the other. That's just the way that it works. We have to do our best to keep ourselves unspotted, unspotted from the world. Thirdly, here tonight, we don't have to teach anyone. We also don't have to teach anyone. In Hebrews chapter uh, 5 and verse uh, verse number 12, you may recall here in a passage well known to us that the Hebrew writer says, describing a group of people, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You don't have to teach anyone. I, I mean, you don't have to teach anyone, but you've got the greatest gift in all the world. You've got the saving power of the blood of Christ, but you don't have to teach anyone. And, and by all means, we can all speak to the fact it ain't going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen by accident. Somebody might ask you why you're different, why you don't drink, why you don't go here, why you don't talk like everybody else. If, you don't, if you're not able to give them an answer, if you're not able to point back towards the cross and Christ, I mean, you don't have to teach anybody. They'll just think you're odd, that you're a little different, that you maybe you're a little weird than everybody else, all the other friends in your group that you have. But we don't have to teach anyone. We have to be willing to do that. It takes growth. Uh, It takes some time even. Notice there that the Hebrew writer says, for though by this time. We don't expect anyone to know it all right away. I mean, the the number here that we could mention, uh, we could go around the room and all of us could mention. How many times later in life and even still today at our various ages that we go, huh, never thought about that that way. I never, you know, never paid attention to that passage. I learned something today from someone else in class or some way that I never thought about before. So it takes time. No one's going to be perfect at it right away. But yet there has to be growth. We have to continue to move forward, to stretch ourselves, to try to be better. I I like how some men oftentimes pray. You may have heard someone uh, here in various places talk about the fact uh, that, that we are better tomorrow. Help us be better tomorrow than we were today. Well, we should have that goal. doesn't happen by accident. It's not something we have to do. It's not something where we sometimes say we put our pillow, uh, our Bible under our pillow at night, lay our head down, and tomorrow we wake up with more knowledge or we're a better person. No, it does not work that way. It takes work. It takes effort. And we don't have to teach anyone. Look as well at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. Actually, beginning back in 14, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, These things I write to you. Though I hope to come to you shortly, but, verse 15, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I ask you this morning as we begin our lesson to put yourself in the shoes of Jesus, if you would, to think about what it would have been like to be around him. Put yourself, for just a moment, in the shoes of the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine probably the pressure that he even put on himself that he felt traveling around from place to place and then writing back to these people? Traveling around from place to place and hoping to be able to go back through those same places to encourage these people. And he writes these letters from time to time, begging, imploring, and pleading with people to grow, to do better, to be better. 
And he says there to Timothy, I hope to come back. I want to be with you. I want to help you. But if I can't make it, if I am delayed, I want you to know how you ought to conduct yourself, how you ought to be, that you should be able to continue to teach others. It doesn't happen by accident. It comes by work. I'll share a few others with you here very briefly. Again, there were a whole lot that we would not have time to go through tonight, but you don't have to go to church services. You don't have to live right. You don't have to respect the Bible. You don't have to, uh, um, you don't have to train your children. You do not have to attend the Bible school, the Bible classes that we have. You don't have to walk after the Spirit. You don't have to treat others right, nor love anyone. You don't have to work. You don't have to be honest, nor pay any of your debts. You don't have to try to win any souls or to make the world any better. You don't have to ever think about your soul nor a future life. We can be ignorant sometimes. And that's not, of course, not meant to be a term to offend anyone, but just ignorant. We can, we can live life day in and day out and not think anything about anything that the Bible says. We can go through our daily lives and never consider anyone else. But think about the blessed life that many of us get to live. Uh, I appreciate Tom's prayer, uh, certainly earlier and before when I asked him if he would lead our opening prayer. You know, he wished me a happy new year. I appreciate his prayer of encouragement for myself as we think about coming together and this place that we, we come together in, this group of people, and how wonderful it is. We say it a lot around here, but I think everyone that I hear say, I know that they mean it. The opportunity that we have, we don't have to do any of those things, but we get to. We get to be associated with a group of people who are able to have an impact on the world. Some of you weren't able to be with us last Sunday night as we kind of recapped our year, but it's really encouraging to think about the things that we have been able to do. And I would say that, and I think everyone here would agree, not in a sense to pat yourself on the back and just to make our heads swell up real big, but to hopefully spur us on to doing more, continuing the things we have done and pushing forward into this community. We don't have to do any of that. I mean, you know, you have hired me to work with the congregation here, and we appreciate that. But for, of course, everyone else around here, you know, we joke about getting a pay raise for the work that you do around here, you know, and, and we laugh about it. But, but yeah, you don't have to do anything. But you get to. There are some things as well that we have to do. We have to face judgment. And we will have to face an eternity. On one side or the other. And so tonight as we conclude our lesson. As we always do. We ask for you to consider God's simple plan of salvation. Because that is something that you will not get to choose. At least at that time. God has been patient with us. God has been long suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not because he doesn't care, but on the contrary, because he does care. And he wants to give folks time and opportunity. You've been blessed with that this evening. Do you need to become a Christian? Maybe you're here tonight and you've done that, but you've wandered away. Again, we're blessed with time. Some people may say, well, why doesn't he just strike me dead, you know, after I come up out of the water? Well, he gives us time and opportunity, even as we sung tonight. Appreciate the, uh, Carl's choice of song. But to go and be the message. To go and be the ones who get to share the greatest news in all the world with those who are lost. And maybe you're here tonight and you've not done that. As you reflect upon your life, you realize that you have not been faithful to God. 
you as well are blessed with time and opportunity tonight. You don't have to leave. You don't have to consider the end of this year and a new year with worry at the forefront of your mind. You can be found faithful either by becoming a Christian or coming back to him. And we gladly assist you now as we stand together and as we sing.